0: Welcome to the University of Alberta's Women Empowering Women podcast, Woo Chats. First, we would like to recognize that the University of Alberta acknowledges that we are located on Treaty 6 territory and respects the histories, languages, and cultures of First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and all First People of Canada, whose presence continues to enrich our community.
1: For those that are returning, welcome back. And for brand new listeners, welcome. My name is Ramon, and I go by the pronouns she and her. I'm one of the co-hosts.
0: And my name is Eileen. I go by the pronouns she slash her, and I'm also a fellow co-host and internal committee member.
1: So today we are pleased to have joining us Michelle Kwok. Michelle is the co-founder and CEO of Flick, a company that is elevating female founders and entrepreneurs around the world. She, alongside her co-founder and COO, Ravina, are breaking barriers and have become patrol blazers in empowering women in the tech and entrepreneurial industry. Thank you so much for joining us today. For our listeners, could you please tell us about who you are and where you're from?
2: Yeah. Hi, I'm Michelle. Um, I also go by the pronouns she, her. I started this company with my co-founder, Ravina. Um, So I'm the co-founder and CEO of Flick. We are a platforming community hub that connects female founders and female learners from all across the world through meaningful apprenticeship. Uh, Female founders are notoriously under-resourced, so they're able to get helping hands on their businesses. And female learners are able to gain career-relevant experience, skills, training, and mentorship under established female leaders. And our mission is really to accelerate the female founders of today and tomorrow. And I am from Vancouver, B.C. Thanks for that introduction. What does Flick actually stand for? Flick stands for Female Laboratory of Innovative Knowledge. To be really honest, we started off with just thinking, what is something that is really catchy, and then how can we, uh, how can we create that into kind of like an acronym? Um, and and so we actually came up with Flick first, and then <laughs> and then tried to encompass as much as possible. The idea of what we were trying to put together—that it was—it wasn't just about you know women in tech. It's about everything. It's about knowledge everywhere, uh, and we and we use female as an inclusive term, so anybody who identifies as a woman and non-binary.
1: So, can you describe your daily operations? So, like for instance, what's a typical workday for you?
2: People always ask me this, but there's never a typical workday because you you could be one day like all day just doing like podcasts and interviews and whatever and then the next day you could just be doing admin work and just be figuring out how, how does accounting work like what, what do we have to do with accounting uh, what do we have to do when we're liaising with our lawyers and everything like that and then there's other days where we just have team meetings and because I, I manage basically most of our marketing and sales and Um, and our community management and events and stuff like that. So I could just be having a ton of team meetings, or I could be meeting with a bunch of partners one day and be setting up a bunch of partnerships and uh, events for the the following quarter. So I I don't know if there's ever a typical day. I think every single day is different. And that's kind of what makes everything exciting is you're not doing the same thing every single day. And there's every single day issues come up. And I, I pretty much do all of our like customer service, so like community service. Every time somebody has an issue on the platform, I, I deal with it and there's always a fire to be put out. So there's never, there's never a typical day really.
0: I love that. It sounds like there's never a dull moment. And hearing that you have a lot of variety sounds really cool. So what exactly led you to create such an amazing company and where did the idea come from?
2: I think it, it came from a lot of things. Uh, When I was growing up, my parents had always wanted me to be a doctor. They always were like, oh, it's either, you know, doctor or lawyer. And they were like, oh, you're so nice. And you always want to help people. So you should be a doctor. And I felt like I just didn't have a lot of role models in the space in any other space. Um, and, And so I didn't have anybody really to look up to who was a woman in entrepreneurship or a woman founder. And so I never thought that that was something that I could do. And I ended up going to university. I went to Western University for medical sciences and I felt so narrow to my academics. I was kind of like, is this it? Is there, there must be more that I could do. There must be. And I started kind of looking into... Entrepreneurship by accident. I started connecting with founders. I'd be, Hey, um, you know, I I know I have no experience and I know I'm in medical science, but I'd love to get some experience in social media. You know what? I like do your social media for free for three months. If it's good, then you can hire me. If not, then nobody's lost anything. And so I started working Um, with founders. And I realized founders always need help on their businesses, especially female founders are so under-resourced. And so I I got to know a ton of founders, especially female founders. And it was so inspiring to kind of understand what the inner workings of entrepreneurship were, were like. I don't think I would have ever gotten this experience anywhere else had I not been with a lot of startup founders, knowing kind of what it takes to be a founder and how difficult it really is and what those little building blocks are along the way. And so, from social media management, I got to marketing campaign management by third year. I was managing like tens of thousands of dollars in corporate sponsorship dollars from like Headspace and Bumble, and I was like, "This is so sick!" You know, like you can, you can be a, you can be an entrepreneur, create your dream team, create your dream job, create your dream impact, whatever it might be. In any way, you can do that for yourself. So I was like, why not do this? Um, and I wish that I had more female founders along the way, ended up getting into next 36, which is one of the uh, top programs for young entrepreneurs in Canada. And I went to next 36 and I. Again, was kind of like, oh my gosh, there's no woman here. Do I belong here? And less than 18% of the cohort were women And, and me and my roommate Ravina at the time, we were like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. We need to find female founders like I have no idea how they got over these barriers and challenges and we feel like we don't fit in. We don't talk like anybody here. We don't think like anybody here. How can we find somebody that resonates with us and our identity? And so we started Flick actually as a way to interview female founders like and meet them. We would just be like, oh, yeah, we started this company. It's a media company. We would love to interview you. Can, can we give you an interview and, and we'll showcase it to like our hundreds of listeners or like viewers all over the world. And we started it as a media company just so that we could meet these people. And more and more we heard from female founders, the same things. It was like, Oh, we're so under-resourced. We're so under-capitalized. Also I wish somebody had told me that I could have done this when I was 21, 22, 23. Uh, I wish that I had a mentor along the way that really resonated with me and my identity. And so we went ahead And we started talking to students and students were saying the same things. They were like, Oh my gosh, can you, can you connect me with these people? This is so cool. I've never met, you know, women founders. I've never met women in tech, women in AI and women building out all these e-commerce fashion businesses. This is awesome. Like connecting with them and the people kept on wanting to be connected with each other. So we were like, okay, hold on a minute. Like we're not going to be able to connect everybody. Right. So why don't we just turn this into a platform that facilitates connections between these female founders and leaders and students and, uh, and allow them to create experiences for themselves. Um, they, just like the experiences that we had that helped us break into entrepreneurship, where we were able to connect with founders, work with them, you know, get experience from them, but also get one-on-one mentorship with them. And that completely changed our careers. And, and so that's kind of how the idea blossomed and started. And we were just like, why not? <laughs> just, and just, and kind of went for it.
1: Wow. So that that's, it's like from scratch really, and you really crafted, that's amazing. I think the journey and trials that you faced. Amongst like creating this company, did you ever feel like there was a time when you wanted to give up?
2: There were so many times, like before we even launched the company, we were just like, people are going to make fun of us, you know, like people, we don't fit in here. People were already kind of saying, why are you going to entrepreneurship? Both of you should be going to med school because my co-founder was also uh, a cell biology student and the expectation was for us to go to med school. And so everybody was like, this is never going to work. It's only servicing 50% of the population. Who's going to be a part of this? Who even cares about this? And the more and more you hear stuff like that, the more and more you're kind of like, well, I literally have no experience in starting. This is the first company that I'm starting. I have no experience in doing this. You don't even know what trials and tribulations come along with it. We're like, what are we getting ourselves into? So, so many times, before we even launched, I think we we definitely were like, what's what's happening? And should we be doing this? And then while we were launching and people started thinking we were like bigger than we were. And it was literally just me, my co-founder, CTO, and maybe like one more person. We were just such a small team and people were thinking that we were so big. And so we were getting so many requests and so many people reaching out to us. And we were like, oh my gosh, this is so much. Can we do this? And I think you go through that a lot um, at the at the beginning. It's well, I mean, most of the time entrepreneurs will still say, even if they're a few years in, they'll be like, I still don't really know what's going on. (laughs) Um, So I think for sure there were times where we just weren't sure if we were the right people to do it. But the more and more you think about it, you're like, if nobody else is doing it, then you are the right person to do it. And if you know that there's a need there and you're helping people and people message us, all the time saying wow thank you so much you helped us get the confidence to start our own business or your platform helped us meet mentors that led us to our next jobs or especially during covid people were saying i lost all my opportunities and nobody would hire me and so i ended up transitioning through your platform and getting a job that had nothing to do with my degree and so every time you hear those stories, it kind of gets you going and you're like, oh, my gosh, maybe I am the right person to do this. I can keep going. I can keep doing this. So I think that that, that just highlights the importance of community and, and caring about your community and being there for them.
0: Wow, that's amazing. I feel like I can relate to a lot of the pressures within the realm of academics, science, especially when you were mentioning your time in medical sciences and hearing your story is pretty much convincing me to want to explore beyond my field just because I love the enthusiasm behind it all, and hearing you say that you probably are the right person to do something if no one else is doing it is awesome. So not only are you a woman, and you have already mentioned about some of the struggles that you've faced, but you're also a visible minority. Um, So have you ever faced discrimination or unequal opportunities? And if you did, how did you respond to it or overcome it?
2: I mean, all the time, I think... A lot of, when we first started the company, I think a lot of, we had a lot of people come up to us and they would say the same things. They'd be like, oh my gosh, Michelle, like you, the first time I met you, I just thought you were a social butterfly. You know, I I didn't think that you took anything seriously, but like really good for you for starting this company. And it wasn't just one person, like several people said a very similar thing to me. And in my mind, I was kind of like, so if I were a guy, would you have not said, wow, you're such a good networker and you're so passionate about what you're doing. It's it's amazing. I never, there's no doubt in my mind that you would start a company. Um, And so I think people look at me very differently. And um, I've even had people say to me, You've only gotten the opportunities that you've gotten because you're a woman uh, and there's more of a push to have women in the workforce these days. But if there wasn't, then you might not be in the position that you are. Like I've gotten things from both sides that are really, really interesting biased comments. And you get these over and over again. And even when we were setting up our small business account for the first time, we were sitting down and, and it was this like small business advisor who was supposed to set up our accounts it was supposed to take like 1530 minutes. And for the first like 30 minutes to an hour, he told us why he didn't think our company was going to work. He was like, you know, I'm an entrepreneur myself and you're really focused on like a really niche audience. Like women is, that's a very niche audience. I also don't know if they're going to buy into everything that you're doing. And we were like, well, you're not really our target demographic and trying to, and and I was like, I just really want us to open this account. And he's just spent so much time telling us why he thought it wasn't going to work and how he was an entrepreneur himself and was trying to give us advice. And he was like, you should really take this advice. So I think over and over again, we've definitely been faced with the same comments. And it really tests your mental ability to get through it, to be like, that's okay that somebody said that, but I'm just going to keep going. And it, it definitely is tough. And I think that's why women uniquely need to have other women as role models, because there are such certain barriers and challenges and comments you face and people you face that other people just won't understand and won't understand how to get you through.
0: Earlier, you also mentioned you didn't really have a mentor to sort of pursue this path, Uh, but your platform is to help facilitate connections between mentors and mentees. And I just wanted to know, how do you match a partnership between the two?
2: Yeah, so it's it's actually not up to us to tell you who's a great fit for you. I think That's the issue with some of the matching platforms these days is that they're like, oh, these three people are going to be perfect for you. Um, So on both sides, you're able to filter for, you know, skills that you're looking for, looking to learn industries that you're looking to be in um, certain keywords. So some people like look up certain like cities or certain schools. And we're also building out like a curated feed that matches what you're looking for with um, other people's like characteristics as well. And so you're able to kind of like LinkedIn, click on someone's profile, request an introduction to them and just tell them why you're interested in connecting with them. And then our platform helps facilitate those connections.
1: So you already like explained how you were a medical science student before and how entrepreneurship was not really your career or goal path. Was there like a specific moment in time during um, that time as you were a medical student where it really hit you like? I, this isn't my calling really, like, was that specific moment in time?
2: I don't know if there was a specific moment, but I think it was like literally first week of first year where I w- walked into these classes. And people were like, I'm obsessed with organic chemistry or like, I just love biophysics. And I was like, really? I thought people just studied this stuff and, you know, got on with their lives. But people in my degree were obsessed with this stuff. And they're like, I love learning this. And I'm, I love learning. I've always been really good at math and sciences. I kind of thought it was something that you get yourself through. And as long as you're good at something, you're meant to do it. Um, But I think it was me seeing the passion that all these people had for medical sciences that I just didn't have that kind of knocked some sense into me. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you're supposed to love what you do. Cause I think coming from a traditional Asian family, you're just told, you know, you, you just find a job that gets you financially stable. You don't have to love what you do. You just have to basically have enough money to live the lifestyle that you want to live. And So I always went into school with the thought process. You don't have to love anything that you're learning just as long as you're good at it, you're fine. But I think it was kind of like FOMO for me when other people loved what they were learning and all my friends were like, oh, this is awesome. And I was like, oh, I'm not having that. How can I find that? I want that.
0: Yeah, that's really fair. I still feel that even in my field too. Um, especially being a woman, there is a lot of underrepresentation at the same time. So we know that representation is important. Uh, why do you think representation is important and mentorship is so important?
2: I, it's incredibly important because everybody has a role model from a young age. You, when you're really, really young, you start identifying with any character that is in front of you. So even if you watch like a Disney movie, uh, you'll, you'll watch a Disney movie and you'll be like, oh my gosh, like, I wish I could be a princess. But if you don't look like that person who's a princess and you're not going to think that you're going to be able to be a princess, you'll be like, oh my gosh, I wish I could be, but I probably can't be. And that was kind of when I was growing up, I was like, oh, that'd be so cool to be a founder. That's a really cool thing to be. But everyone I see looks like Steve Jobs and uh, Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk. And I was like, I am not a white man in tech who is technical, so I cannot be that. And we we put restrictions on ourselves so early on when we're younger, and it's so detrimental to... Have no role models who it's so detrimental to not have representation because then all those other people who are so diverse are never going to think that they're gonna be they're gonna be able to reach those positions. They're never gonna think that they're gonna be able to be founders and leaders and and all of these things that they really genuinely could be. Uh, and the only reason that they think that is because it's in their minds from a very young age as they're looking up to role models, and none of the role models look like them. So over time. Time they start to put restrictions on themselves, and it's a way for us to. I think it's a way for us to create like safety for ourselves. To be like, I don't want all of that rejection, um, and so I'm not even going to try to do that thing. And and so if we don't have representation on the board, then we're never going to have like true diversity of thought and true equity because people are never going to even want to try to get to those positions. Yeah, so you still
0: have a very young company and even though entrepreneurship is incredibly challenging, you've had a lot of success and it makes me happy for hearing you talk about all your successes. Um, So what do you hope to achieve and where do you see this going in maybe 10 to 15 years and how would you define your success?
2: I always say I don't, uh, we actually don't look like 10 to 15 years in the future because things change so quickly, especially when you're a young startup. I think we are always striving to towards the mission of how can we better accelerate female founders of today and female founders of tomorrow. And that's like a daily thing. And we plan, I think we plan, we'll plan like quarterly and maybe like annually, but we'll never be like on in five years, we're going to be X uh, because that X is always going to change. So for us, it's always like, how can we be better? How can we better support fem- future female founders? How can we better support female founders of today. And we ask ourselves that question every single day. And so we really just like work on ideas every single day and try to implement those within the quarter. Um, So for example, like recently we asked ourselves that question and we were like, we should be putting together resources for learners, for students to help them land their next job, to help them navigate their careers, um, to, to help them get exclusive discounts and perks to Certain sites that a lot of learners and students use, and we we'd been working on that for like a few months in order to launch that, and that we just launched it, I think like today or yesterday. So it's there's always going to be new ideas, and there's always going to be new things that we can do. Um, the vision is always and the mission is always going to stay the same, but the I think the like those postmarks or those benchmarks or whatever you call it in like five years, 10 years, those are always gonna change. So we decided we're not gonna tell, we're not gonna tell people we're gonna do X by this time because that probably is not gonna be true, but I can tell you that we're always working towards that mission.
1: You released the 2021 social impact report and we noticed that they're based on the United Nations uh, SDGs goals. So could you really elaborate on like the key findings in your report?
2: I think uh, I, I don't know all the numbers by heart but I think what was really really interesting what I think it was 84 percent of Flick founders knew what UN SDGs were and were actively working towards the UN SDGs and that was a really big stat for us because we've been trying to like we're very focused on social impact where we love supporting social impact founders so we've been really focused on the the last year educating our community on the UN SDGs and what's really, really important, why it is important to be building companies that are creating impact, because I truly believe that the future of entrepreneurship is going to be in social entrepreneurship. Um, there's so many issues around the world today, and the, I think the only way that they're going to be fixed on time in a critical manner is in a private way, so through startups, through innovation. I think that was really, really cool. Um, over half of the female founders that reported said that they were working on companies that are working towards the UN SDGs. Uh, we have a biweekly founder newsletter that that uh, highlights founders who are working towards the UN SDGs. So it, I think it's like an amazing way to continue supporting social entrepreneurs and showcasing that this is really the future. Um, I think those were like some of the really main things that we, we realized. I think one thing that was really, really interesting is most of the founders who said that they were working on uh, UN SDGs were working towards SDG five, which is gender equality. But what they said that needed more attention was SDG 12, which I believe is climate action um, or whichever SDG is climate action. I think it is 12 Uh, and, and I found that to be very, very interesting is that most of the founders thought that we all have to work on more innovation towards climate action.
1: So I was reading your Forbes uh, guest article that you wrote, and I think there was something beautiful that you mentioned, and it was, quote, while the numbers may be grim, if women of color have proven anything in the world of entrepreneurship, It is that they are beyond resilient and will make space for themselves at the table with their perseverance. So could you like expand like what you meant by that? Because I found that very, very um, profound.
2: Yeah, um, again, I don't have the exact stat for it, but I know that most of the businesses started by women in the last year were started by women of color. And I think that's really, really interesting because- Over time, we've seen that, unfortunately, women of color don't receive the same amount of funding, even as white women Um, and women in general in 2020 only received 2.2% of venture capital funding. So going into entrepreneurship, I think that's like, it's extremely brave and courageous for any woman of color, because you know that the odds are stacked against you, but you're still willing to take that risk to create that innovation. And so it's, it's more of a gut feeling that I've had every time I talk to female founders, every time I talk to women of color founders, we always get into the conversation of funding and how undercapitalized women founders are already, how underresourced, but how undercapitalized and underresourced women of color founders are in particular And they themselves know it already. And they know that the odds are stacked against them, but they're so much more willing to continue fighting because they, they're all working towards something that's bigger than themselves. It's not like women of color founders are coming to the table to be like, I'm just trying to create a billion dollar company because I want to get a billion dollars. Like they're coming to the table because they're like, this is a problem that needs to be solved and needs to be solved. Now, if I don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. And so I think the mentality of women of color founders that I've talked to has been so much more resilient and, and born from grit, which is, why, which is why I said that.
1: No, you, you wrote, I, the article was beautiful. I loved it. So on your Twitter, we found that you discussed the importance of EDI and gender equality. And on Instagram, they actually recently um, put a feature on To include your gender identity, so your pronouns of she, her, they, them, which is awesome. So, what else do you think we can do to further bridge the gap regarding gender equality?
2: I think we need to be showcasing more stories of people who are like non binary folks and trans women. I think there's a lot of awareness that. You know, we should be aware of people's gender pronouns, but I think a lot of people don't understand the lived experiences of these people and why it's so important to understand these little things of like, use somebody's proper gender pronouns. It's so little. And I've talked to, it's such an easy thing for everybody to do. But I've talked to people who are even like, I don't understand why people care so much. Um, It's such a little thing. Like, why would I, why would I call this person they, them, if she, she looks like a she, her, Um, I would rather, it's more comfortable for me to say she, her, whatever, right? Like, and I'm looking at them and I'm like, do you know what this person has lived through? Do you know what this person has had to struggle through in order to, in order to pronounce to the world that they are they have they would like to be go by they them um why can't you say this little thing so I think that there hasn't been enough or I wouldn't say there hasn't been enough I would say that we need to do a better job those who have a platform need to do a better job of showcasing these stories of non-binary folks and trans women um we recently We recently did an interview with a trans woman founder. Her name is Jessica Bussert. Uh, Prior to her transition, she was working in tech. And right when she transitioned, they fired her. Um, And they told her it was because she wasn't fit to do the job anymore. And after, after her transition, she basically was run out of the city. She had to move. And she couldn't get a job in tech anymore because they were telling everybody. And um, so she ended up going back to school for nursing and she was a really great nurse. She was like one of the top nurses uh, at this hospital in, in, I think Colorado or something. And she was about to get placed, but they needed her papers or like birth certificate or whatever. And suddenly they were like, you actually can't have a job here because they they found out that she had transitioned. Um, And. And so it's actually so crazy. Everything that she had to go through, she ended up starting her own company because she's like, nobody can fire me if I start my own company. Uh, But the next thing that she faced was going to investors and she would walk into the room and they would immediately say, no, they wouldn't even listen to her pitch. They would just say, Oh no, sorry. I'm out. That's crazy. Right? Like you don't, you don't know how, how much these people go through. There's so much more of her story. Um, but i had never i had never listened to such a heartbreaking story there's so much more to her story um, than that and i never really un- truly understood and i probably still i definitely still don't truly understand what these people have to go through but every time you learn a little bit more you understand what type of compassion you need in order to connect with others and just do that just do that small thing on your side just use the proper pronouns you're not there there's people who still tell her that she's a man. And she's like, no, I've been a woman my entire life. These are such small things that we can do uh, as people that they connect with. And I just think that there should be more stories out there to normalize this.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that story. First of all, I think it's really important to talk about stories like that, because a lot of people are ignorant to these types of things, including myself. And a lot of the times people are going to excuse that and say you can't blame someone for being ignorant. But at the same time, we all have a duty to be able to educate people and actually be mindful of the consequences that can come from our actions. And to sort of elaborate on this a little bit more and continue the conversation. Like myself, you are a woman of Asian descent. And we also wanted to discuss and get your thoughts on the disturbing racial hate crimes that have been happening. For instance, there has been the shootings that have happened at Atlanta spas and violence against... Elderly Asian women and men. And ever since the pandemic began, there's been a widespread hate against Asians. And so while there are efforts to essentially try and stop Asian hate, what do you think about the lack of response toward Asian racism and xenophobia?
2: It's really interesting you say that because I feel like throughout my life, people have always said, you know, Asians don't have it as bad as others. And it's honestly often um, non-minorities who say that to me. And there's like, oh, Asians don't have it as bad as others. And with the rise of anti-Asian hate, I think that this has this sentiment has grown more where people are like, still Asians don't have it as bad as others, but that doesn't mean that we deserve to have this hate. Um, I think it's it, we've talked about it a lot in our community. It's actually so frustrating to Almost feel bad about talking about the anti Asian hate because other people make you feel like you don't deserve to grieve or you don't deserve to feel unsafe when you're walking on the streets. Like a lot of people have, I think, minimized the issue. Um, I've definitely had friends who are like, I'm literally afraid to walk outside just to go get my groceries because a man got an Asian man got beat up like four blocks away from me. And people minimize the issue. They're like, oh my gosh, it'll never happen to you. Like, don't worry about it. Um, so I think, I don't know what we can be doing better. I know that people have been sharing their stories, um, but I don't, I don't know what we can be doing better because most of the people that I talk to are Asians within my community who are, who are struggling and who are suffering and who, who, who are scared to literally leave their houses. And they're not getting the support that they deserve from from the community around them. That doesn't feel the same way.
0: Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that, because a lot of the times when we do talk about Asian hate, uh, many Asians are ignored, especially when it comes to racial injustice, because, you know, there is also that stereotype of us being a model minority. Mm -hmm. And so what do you think about this label of a model minority, um, especially with respect to Asians? And what would your response be if someone were to call you that or use you as an example? for
2: that. Oh, that's a deep question. It's really difficult because I think that a lot of Asian parents do want their kids to be seen as the model minority because they want to just fit in. And I remember that being a really big thing when I was younger is I was alienated a lot when I was younger. Like I didn't have many friends because I, I was taught Cantonese Uh, first before English. And so I didn't really speak English very much, didn't speak English very well. And people bullied me for it. And so immediately from a young age, I learned if you assimilate with the Western culture, then you will live an easy life, like you will be able to survive in this. Uh, And so I think it's really hard, because I think growing up, I even... Um, I even associated myself kind of with the model minority because I wanted to fit in and I wanted people to think of me as white, to think of me as just like them so that I could fit in. I could have friends. I could have all these things that everybody else had. Um, and as I grew up, I realized that I am I am actually proud of my culture and I wish that I I I could have been a little bit more accepting of my culture from a young age, but I was literally like scared out of it. Um, And so I think that sometimes like the model minority is kind of thrust onto us uh, by society and sometimes by our parents because they think that it's going to be the safer way to be you and they want you to assimilate and to fit in and all these things. Um, but at the end of the day, people will still see you as different and people will still treat you differently. And so even though you might be, I, I know a lot of like Asians have been like, oh yeah, my friends think it's really cool when when they say that, oh, you're basically white. That hurts so much actually, <laughs> because then you're you're disregarding somebody's culture completely. So I think I've really, really struggled with, I've actually talked about this kind of openly recently, Um, I really struggled with my Asian identity versus my Western identity, because I feel like my Western identity got me through my younger years where I was able to learn English really quick, quickly and fit in and understand how Western culture works. But when I'm at home, I only speak Chinese and I, we only eat Chinese food. And I've always struggled with like balancing this Western and Asian identity, say similar to the way that you view your career. I think, um, it's very like quote unquote Western to feel like you can be an entrepreneur and you can, uh, you can stray from the traditional path of doctor versus lawyer. And I really struggled with that because I knew I was letting my parents down and they, t- they were so upset when I told them that I wasn't gonna go to med school. And, and so it's like so difficult because I think a lot of Asian kids do struggle with that type of identity, especially when they come from an immigrant family and so you might sometimes fall into the model minority, but at the end of the day, you're still different and you still have a very different identity and people still treat you differently and look at you differently. And and at the end of the day, like you will have a harder time, um, but that's so disregarded because of how sometimes Asians are able to fit into the Western culture. So that's a difficult question. No,
0: yeah, but you answered it, I think, quite. In a way that's relatable to a lot of people, including myself, because I also had that struggle of trying to find a balance between, you know, your Western identity and your Asian identity. And I remember, you know, also being younger, I was embarrassed to speak um, the language that my parents speak. And I was embarrassed to bring ethnic lunches to school because it would smell different from other people, you know? Um, Like, I remember I would ask my mom, like, hey, can I get a Lunchable? Because, like...
2: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I was, like, fully bullied for stuff like that Um, when I, like, when I was younger, I didn't speak English very well. And so this, this kid, I remember he tricked me into like licking a glue stick because it was making me think it was a lollipop and like everybody laughed at me. Like there were so many of these moments that I've blocked out um, and I tried to suppress my Asian identity more and more over the years just so that I would never have to face that kind of, that kind of treatment again. But during COVID-19, like I've literally had people like call me COVID even though I speak, I think I speak perfect English now. Uh, And I grew up in Vancouver and I grew up in Canada. I've had people tell me that I'm less Canadian than them, that, um, that I am walking COVID-19, that I've had me and my friends have had people cough at us and like sneeze at us. You know, it's at the end of the day, that's what I'm saying is like, even if you are called the model minority, you still you still look different, you're still going to be treated differently. And people are going to look at you and see what they they want to see. They're not going to look at you and be like, oh, that's a white person, right? Um, So there's still going to be, there's still going to be struggles. But unfortunately, the greater, greater society doesn't deem it to be that difficult to go through when in reality, it is so, so tough. Like imagine being Asian now and And some, and some Asian man was like beat up four blocks away from you. And you're literally scared to leave your house. Like that is terrible.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. Um, So another question that I had was, um, are there any other stereotypes that you've encountered in your field? Was there any that's specific to, you know, starting your own company and whatnot?
2: Hmm. That's a really interesting question. I think the only one that I've ever encountered someone say to me like multiple times is, Uh, oh you're only good at science and math because like Asians are good at science and math and people don't realize like how hard you work to get there like I started uh, I I was I was like doing math every single night when I was younger and and science and I, I was doing like grade seven math by the time I was in grade one because my parents told me that if you're not ahead then you're behind you know I I put in so much work to do that and I've definitely, I've definitely had people be like, oh, Asians are so hardworking, which is why you were where you are now. I mean, you can't just be like Asians are hardworking. Like I think that my, my co-founder and I put a lot of hours in and you can't just discount that by just saying, oh, it's because Asians are X. Um, yeah, it's, there's definitely a lot of microaggressions along the way that you have to deal with. And unfortunately that's just part of the job.
1: Yeah, I guess like your point of like really saying this with the stereotypes is that like, you know, Asians are not monolithic, right? You have diverse abilities, you know, different languages, right? And people like to categorize you guys and say, oh, you're Chinese, but it's like, no, I'm Japanese or I'm Vietnamese, right? So I guess the whole um, disregard really for understanding your culture and your diversity within society, I think you pointed out really well. Um, I guess my question would be more you know, as a woman of Asian descent, a woman of color, you're a minority and you're in a male dominated field. um, What advice would you give to other entrepreneurs and people that want to follow in your footsteps?
2: Try to connect it with as many people as you can. I think what really, really helped me was my network and especially connecting with those that resonated with my identity. Like I'd cold LinkedIn, reach out to people and be, and literally just be like, Oh my gosh! Like we went to the same school, or oh my gosh! Like you also like noodles. Like <laughs> I also like noodles. You know, I I don't know. I just I really built out my network to understand other people's journeys and to see how they overcame their barriers and challenges, so that it would, so that we could implement that along the way as we were building our company. And I think it also helped us a lot. Uh, one one mentor in particular that. I think was awesome was Christina Milkey. She, she's from Edmonton. I think she's like the, the only woman leading a VC in Edmonton um, and one of the few in Alberta. And she told us all the stories of how many people along the way told her that like women can't invest and women aren't really good with money and all this stuff. And cause you have to understand, you need to have a thick skin as an entrepreneur. Cause so many people are going to tell you that you can't do something because of who you are, your race, your gender, whatever it is, people always want to tell you where you're going wrong. Um, And so being able to hear these stories and how people got through it, I think, got us through.
0: Thank you for that. So lastly, we are an empowering student group, and this is a question that we ask all of our guests. So what does women empowerment mean to you?
2: It means always being willing to elevate other women. However you can do it, not saying that you have to say yes to every single meeting, but maybe... But I think the issue these days in in some fields is people are always wanting to put other people down so that they can come up. But in order to reach equity and equality, we're going to have to lift each other up in any way that is, is like sharing your ideas on a Medium article or posting on LinkedIn about your trials and tribulations and how you got over it, getting on calls with people, hosting free workshops, whatever it might be. I I think it's, it's up to women to elevate each other.
1: That's beautiful. I like that. Thank you for joining us today, Michelle. Um, thank you for taking the time to talk to us despite your busy schedule. You're a very busy woman. Um, it was a pleasure to talk to you. And overall, thank you for really just creating an inclusive space for women in, opt- in entrepreneurship. Um, you were really breaking barriers and we, we can't thank you enough for that. Thank you so much
2: for having me. I I loved all the questions too.
1: (laughs) Well, that's it for today's
0: episode. If you would like to keep up with our student group, don't forget to check out our IG at UA underscore W-E-W or our website, w4w.ca. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. We hope you stay empowered and stay tuned for the next episode.